Okay. I think we can uh, officially kick off this episode of Taking Stock. Um, I've just uh, put up some links, um, the first couple of links we're going to have for this space call. Uh, it's uh, all about this new UK proposal that's being put, force, put forward by this um, UK digitization uh, task force. And uh, it's um, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, the the title of this episode is pretty uh, full on. They are there is it works up to eventually them basically saying everyone should use a nominee and that's how it should be, uh, and that should be mandatory. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll get all, all, into it very shortly, but. Um, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself and uh, I think, yeah, we've got some time for some updates. Um, one of them is actually an update. Uh, today I swapped out a broker on the websites. Um, Passfolio was a Brazilian broker. Uh, they shut down not too long ago and have moved over to SproutFi. So, uh, and the same is the case for uh, people from Latin America who use Stake. So Stake and uh, Passfolio, they both use DriveWealth. Um, Stake is available like in broader markets as well. But yeah, for Latin America, they both transitioned to SproutFi and SproutFi is using the standard DriveWealth fee uh, of $55 to DRS, which sounds bad, but when you compare it to what stake charge which is $200 per transfer or uh, what uh, Passfolio used to charge, which was $130. This is, this is a nice drop, but um, we're still a ways from, you know, uh, just better rates in general. Um, Cause you know, brokers can do it for free. It's not that difficult and it can be more or less automated. Um, but still, it's progress. Um, and uh, on a kind of broader note for, for our Taking Stock episodes, we're uh, moving to kind of push it as, out as a podcast. It's now going to be uh, available across all podcast networks. Um, the last one we're getting set up on is Amazon. But if you want to listen to any of the other previous episodes right now, we're on Spotify and Google uh, and Apple podcasts. Um, you can listen to us on your, uh, Amazon Alexa device or all, all that stuff. I've been on so many websites this past couple of weeks getting it set up. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's, um, more or less all the updates for now, unless, uh, Chives, you have anything else you want to chime in with? Well, definitely. I'm, I'm very excited to get to the meat of this episode, so I won't take too long. I just want to share that you know, after some technical difficulties with our last episode and the Twitter recording, we really wanted to get live uh, on so many of these other hosting services. And thankfully, that's uh, thanks to Vivek's uh, predominant hard work there. That's now possible. So just want to echo that. and really appreciate that. And uh, then lastly, just to mention on our Discord server, we've also got some great updates there. For those that are interested, um, a lot of uh, logs that will show when people join and leave, if messages are edited or deleted, all sorts of good stuff like that to try to make sure that we can have a, 
continuing conversation where everyone can enjoy, you know, the, the fruits of collaboration, working together and research. So very excited about that as well. Yeah, I've been adding some other features today as well to our Discord. We're going to be getting uh, live updates from Ryan Cohen's Twitter feed and maybe Larry Cheng's as well. Just some interesting people um, that that the kind of DRS community are interested in. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, we'll get started on dissecting. Uh, this task force, what their aim is and um, what they're trying to do. Um, and I, I said uh, earlier, it's a mixed bag. Uh, so they, they kind of have um, this kind of overall remit of uh, looking to kind of uh, digitize the current system because there's still a lot of paper shares out there, paper certificates, Um and uh, it's kind of an interesting aspect of, of self-custody that we're, we're still putting in some research into. But um, uh, generally, paper certificates are kind of looked down on. They're, they're definitely slow to interact with. It's not very quick to exchange a paper certificate. So I can see why, like, in our kind of digital world that, that we're kind of progressing more and more into, um it makes sense to, uh, yeah, kind of get rid of that uh, archaic form of, of share ownership and move into something more streamlined. Um, so I think uh, we can start with this kind of ex- executive summary uh, that's in the report, uh, which is in that tweet I've put in the nest. Um, and they're kind of recommendations that they're looking to include. And um, I think, I mean, Travis and I were talking earlier, we were saying a lot of this is actually quite good. Uh, some of it's kind of, there's a lot of shoulds uh, in this language, which I, I want to bring up because uh, it's not a definitive. Um, they're kind of using fairly vague and open language. Um, and And I mean, our concern is that while a lot of this stuff is really good to suggest, um, it, they also leave stuff open for, for things to be, you know, the worst possible outcome for, for individual investors. Um, so it's, it's yeah, worth bearing in mind the language as we go through. Um, I just want to pop in right before we hmm. hop into these, these overviews, uh, something that, that I had just learned recently Thanks to, and just so people also check this out, in the nest we also posted computer shares uh, packet response to this task force. Uh, that's a just a quick, like, six-page packet, some really great information in there. recommend reading that as well. And one thing they get into is how in the U.K., if you're an investor trying to invest in a, a company which is incorporated there, uh, you can – Hold shares in what's called the Crest system. We're going to talk more about it later, but it's a centralized securities depository. If you're familiar with Seed and Co., then you, or CD and Co., you basically get the idea of Crest. But something odd about Crest under UK law, which is pretty old school, is that if you don't own inside of Crest, you actually have to have some kind of paper record. So there's no book entry direct registration equivalent for domestic UK companies right now um, from the way that I understand from the, especially from computer shares breakdown, but also the other research I've done. 
So that's one reason probably why their government is, you know, so interested in moving towards the dematerialization uh, at a legislative level because they represent you know, a lot more of these paper certificates and uh, a lot more, you know, just busy work. I mean, it's just a lot more difficult to uh, find the owners if an estate is transferring hands, if someone dies, uh, sending out proxy materials. There's a lot of reasons to need this information and it's very difficult to get. So I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that at the top, that that's you know, perhaps why they're so interested in moving forward on this. And so quickly, it was only like 40 days after they posted this report that their comment window is closing. So got to move quick. Yeah, it's all a bit of a rush. The um, the deadline to comment on this is the 25th of September. So not long left now. Um, so, yeah, we're trying to raise as much awareness as we can. And anyone can comment on this. So you don't have to live in England to to comment on, on what the UK task force is doing. Um, if you like have the potential to interact with the UK markets at all, then you have the right to comment on this. Um, uh, but yeah, it's um, definitely worth bearing in mind. There's yeah, all sorts of stuff going on in England. It's not quite the same as America. But uh, ultimately, um, there is some stuff later in the in the central depository solutions that they offer that um, uh, mention book entry registration, I believe, or at least being registered on the issuer's register. Um, I'm saying register too much. Anyway, um, yeah, so let's dive into, so on page two of this uh, interim report, we've got the executive summary uh, and it kind of just puts up front the, the recommendations that they're suggesting, um, which oddly enough, like, I mean, we'll read through these now and none of these really touch on how a central depository should be arranged. So it's uh, kind of weird that they kind of burying, burying the lead a little bit in this report. Um, but anyway, let's go with number one. So it says legislation should be brought forward and company articles of association changed as soon as practicable, as soon as practicable, practicable to stop the issuance of new new paper share certificates. Um, so basically, they're just looking to stop new paper certificates from being made. Totally fair. If that's what you know, you're looking to end paper certificates, you've got to stop them from being made first. Um, it's very reasonable. Um but like, uh, again, it's worth bearing in mind, they're saying legislation should be brought forward. Um, so it's kind of recommendation rather than demands. Um, but uh, yeah, for number two, the government should bring forward legislation to require dematerialization of all share certificates at a future date to be determined as soon as possible. So they're looking to figure out when they're going to basically digitize all the paper certificates. That's got to be done wholesale uh, if we're going to make this this thing entirely digital. Um, it's going to be determined as soon as possible, but the, the future date could be next year, could be three years down the line. We're, we're yet to see that. But uh, judging by how fast they're trying to move, uh, it could be sooner rather than later. Um uh, I mean, 
I'll say, try to stop me if uh, you want to jump in on anything, but I'm going to move on to number three because so far it speaks for itself and it's all quite reasonable. Yeah, I think these these first several are super straightforward. Nice. So, yeah, number three is the government should consult with issuer and investor representatives on the preferred approach to residual paper share interests and whether a time limit should be imposed for the identification of untraced ultimate beneficial owners in brackets UBOs. So we can just call them beneficial owners because um, that's how we're more familiar with it. If you if you have shares with a broker, you're a beneficial owner. Um, you can, in this case, also be referred to as an ultimate beneficial owner, which feels like uh, the difference between a producer and an executive producer. Just they they like to slap that title on to make you feel good. Ultimate sounds well, just like to, a good one. to follow up on that. The I think the distinction is more that a stock can have multiple beneficial owners, kind of in the in the chain, uh, but there's only ever one ultimate beneficial owner at the very end the person who is supposed to have like the voting rights and or the economic rights uh that go that would go along with ownership but let's say if you're holding uh in a broker who and they themselves are holding within a greater nominee you know you can think of yourself as the ultimate beneficial owner and the broker as the beneficial owner or a beneficial owner on the way on up to the central depository Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you're a beneficial owner. Your broker's a beneficial owner. Uh, if you're like me and you're you're in the UK and you're investing in US stocks, then your broker has an American broker who is also a beneficial owner. Um, so, yeah, it can it can get pretty beneficial. Um, but yeah, so but this point three is basically um, once they've recalled all the paper shares there's likely going to be some swimming around still that won't be claimed. And um, because they're paper certificates, there is a, you know, a paper trail. They will be able to name and know who, who they're supposed to belong to. But in some cases, um, someone's died and they haven't uh, set up anything to pass those shares on to, to their next of kin or anything like that. So it, it could be stuck in a lengthy process of, of their family trying to reclaim those shares. Um so, yeah, trying to figure out what kind of approach they want to take to uh, that situation and if time limits should be imposed to kind of speed things along. Um, like my only concern with this one is that they're trying to rush this stuff along, but they're, they're not really telling anyone about it. Like I, I just stumbled across this total happenstance and uh, it's... Um, just absolute luck that that we've managed to get this out and around uh and make some posts about in time for the deadline um so i hope that if they move forward with any of this they they actually uh raise more awareness than they've done so far because uh these are some big changes they're looking to make um and they're being very quiet about it uh or at least that's how it feels right now but again, hopefully with this, uh, we'll, we'll get to how you can comment and how you can contact them uh, a bit later. Um, and hopefully with that kind of interaction, they'll they'll be a bit more considerate about individual investors because um, they they claim they've been talking to them, uh, but I have to say the the kind of results in this this interim report don't reflect that. 
they don't seem to reflect the interest of the individual investor much. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'll move on to number four. So intermediaries should have an obligation as a condition of participation in the clearing and settlement system to put in place common technology that enables them to respond to ultimate beneficial owners requests from issuers within a very short time frame. So basically they want to try and reduce the friction between the investor and the company, uh, because at the moment with all these layers that we were talking about, the layers of beneficial ownership, uh, it can be nigh on impossible uh, as an investor to actually reach out and, and contact or in any way the company that you're invested in. Um, and there's almost no way for that company to know who you are on the other end of that. Um, so again, it's, this is very reasonable. Uh, but again, it's intermediaries should have an obligation. So wide open to be like, okay, number four didn't happen. Never mind. We can get the rest done though. Um, like this is something that I'd like more attention put onto if possible. Um, because this this is the kind of accountability that we're getting by direct, directly registering our shares instead. So if we can create that kind of accountability like across the board, that would be amazing. But uh, I'm, I'm quite optimistic in that view, I think. Because, um, uh, I mean, yeah, before I move on to number five, the, the guy who's heading up this uh, digitization task force, um, What's his name? Uh, something Flint, Doug, Doug Flint. Um, it's, it's, he signs Sir Douglas Flint on the interim report. Yeah. So for, for services to the finance industry, he was knighted. Um, God knows what he did. But what, all I've kind of been able to clean from his history is that he worked for KPMG, uh, which is one of the big four accountancy firms. And I know from semi like secondhand experience uh for working uh on video content related to them but they really aren't uh the kind of amazing um high standard of accountability that they proclaim to be uh there's a lot that goes on a lot of helping each other out a lot of scratching each other's backs and uh doing the bare minimum they really pat themselves on the back for um and they just rake in the money for it so i i i'm not a big fan of i mean any of the big four kpmg ey and all of that lot um uh pwc uh but um he then went on to work for uh hsbc which uh in my experience is one of the most criminal banks out there uh especially in england so it's like, you know, they're always embroiled in something. So um, I, I don't really like the, the the smell that's coming off this guy. It's a bit fishy. Well, you know, hold on. Let's let's uh, see what recommendations he makes at the end of the report. Like right now, these are broad recommendations. Later, he'll have some policy ones. And then after that, he'll he'll propose his favorite policy. So let's just see, you know, what that ends up being. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess we we can give the benefit of the doubt for now. These these recommendations are pretty. Uh, uh, Actually, just joking about that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. We're going to get to it, but this guy wants to force shareholders to hold through a nominee. We're going to get there, yeah. <laughs> but 
He wants to make uh, it impossible for you to legally own your shares. <laughs> but yeah. Um but you know, all these recommendations, they're so reasonable. So let's let's move on to number five. We've got uh and I, and I do think four and five are the most crucial ones. I mean if I can, you know, get to it here, read it here, and then we'll we'll hop right in. Yeah. So number five is intermediaries offering shareholder services should be fully transparent about whether and the extent to which clients can access their rights as shareholders, as well as any any changes to any charges imposed for that service. So this it's kind of a double edged sword, like great transparency. One of my favorite things to see. Uh, but the, at the same time, um there's kind of the the mention of charges imposed for for such transparency uh, and accessing rights uh, as a shareholder, which I don't know if you guys know this about rights, but you're entitled to them. Uh, you should just have them. You shouldn't have to pay to own to actually have rights to the thing that you own or should own. So it's uh, yeah. It's wild. It's kind of like having someone burgle your home and then you having to pay for the right for the fact that that's actually your home and someone else shouldn't be able to burgle it. It's it's a bizarre decoupling of, uh, I don't know, entitlements and uh, capitalism. Uh, like, And I would just also want to jump on that to say that, you know, one of the very few arguments that I think has a little bit of water for a centralized depository is the universality of it in terms of its design and access. There's a lot of potential saving of time and resources with that kind of approach. Uh, you know, of course, there are other problems that come with abuse when it comes to custody, but to eventually recommend that kind of approach, but be open to the idea of the end investor being the ultimate beneficial owner being charged to access their rights is just, I want to say comical, but no one's laughing. Yeah, some some kind of bad comedy joke. I think someone said that once before. Um, yeah, it's kind of strange to be like so pro-investor, but then at the same time, like sneak in that underhanded, oh yeah, you can charge for accessing your rights. Um, but, you know, that's that's what we do in England. We We play with this uh language like it's art it's uh, <laughs> um and yeah we're gonna see more of that kind of stuff as we go through um bellweir boy i just yeah i just added you to speakers did you want to chime in uh yeah i'm here can you hear me yeah yeah i can hear you yeah i i, I, I want to say look um are you sure this proposal doesn't apply only to stocks and shares and securities that are issued by United Kingdom-based companies? I, 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 I could not find a single reference to foreign ownership, to European. Um, there's, there's nothing in the document that says that, that, indicates any other uh, field of reference or, or, or jurisdiction except UK-based stocks and issuers. So is that right? 
Yeah, it's a it's a sneaky one. Um, it's basically they've left it broad enough that it can cover both. Um, they're they're leaving it wide open, so once they've got the green light, they can just do whatever they want. Um, that, well, that's being a bit exaggerative, but um, and I but, guess to say it a different way without assuming nefarious intent, uh, we should want to protect the right of UK citizens to own UK company stock in their own name. Uh, and that's, and that's definitely the perspective that I'm approaching it from. I do agree though. The language is extremely broad throughout this. And ultimately, you know, I'll be very curious to see what their follow-up report is once they've received investor comment. Yeah, I, I actually emailed them to ask them to clarify that. Um, I've, I've received no response. But um, I, I, I'm worried that the UK, this pro- UK proposal um, is being used to say that there is a threat to DRS for UK shareholders at the moment. And that may not actually be the case. Um, so I'm slightly worried, to be frank, that this is being, you know, it doesn't do you any good if you run around like Chicken Little saying the sky's going to fall on our heads, and then it turns out that, oh, no, it's only going to apply to UK issuers, and you've frightened a whole bunch of people who are holding US stocks in DRS. And actually, I don't see, I don't see how the UK regulators can in any shape or form force uh, uh, can force you to put into nominee shareholding a foreign asset which is you know they don't have jurisdiction they don't they have zero jurisdiction over this it doesn't make any sense to me at all I think they can only ever apply this to UK issued UK-based stocks and shares, there is no possibility of them imposing this for foreign-owned uh, stocks and shares. It, there is no jurisdiction, there's no international law for it, there's no jurisdictional direction for it, uh, and I'm, I'm extremely worried that this whole issue is being blown out of all proportion um, at the moment, okay, and I think it's urgent that if you do go down this route to say that this is a serious threat to DRS for GME, that you establish this fact first from from the from the source firsthand before you know generating a great deal of possibly negative and anxiety of unnecessary anxiety. So I think there's there's a lot to kind of con- take into consideration with this. I mean, the yeah, the jurisdiction thing is is uh, difficult to understand because it is um, such a massive thing. But um, there is an ex- there is already something like this going on with um, South Korean people. Um, they're not allowed to hold any shares outside of South Korea uh, and South Korean nominees. Um, so they got kind of screwed over on the whole DRS thing. And uh, the uh, uh, digitization task force, they remit is the entire UK shareholder framework. So it's the entire thing. And they go in later to kind of say, we need to bring in new legislation 
to kind of address this and be able to do this. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were able to then introduce new law to make sure that they can have that jurisdiction, if that makes sense. Um, and and what I would, just to kind of back up Bellweir a bit, is that certainly there's no immediate threat. Certainly uh, legislation can always change. And I suppose that that is what Vivek is getting at here. Uh, you know, it's the intent that I think is concerning. Even the current implications for uh, domestic UK investors is concerning. And there is, you know, other global precedent for that type of uh, drastic executive action from legislators. And so I definitely agree. We want to make sure that people know that it's not as if this is something that's going to affect a investor who's invested in any given U.S. stock tomorrow. Uh, that's certainly not the case. There's no timeline for that. There's no sort of released indication of that. Uh, that's not what we're saying here. And we had not brought up, you know, any specific U.S. stock up to up to when you did in this conversation. Mm. Yeah, you see, um, I I I rather think that the mod kibble pigeon has has run away with this. He put a sticky on it and generated an enormous amount of, you know, very high profile. Well, that may be. Um, and I I I really thought that was going off piste. To be, you know, it it was not. It's not. It's not reflective of sober. Uh, it 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 felt like panic mode. You know, like as I said, the chicken little thing. The sky is falling on our heads. And yeah, uh, I I don't know how one look. The, the the thing is to force the digital tax force to answer the question by one means or other. I don't know. If we can push our heads together, there must be some mechanism by which they are not not just asked, they are compelled to answer the question, does this extend to foreign holdings or not? Yes or no? I expect, my, my hope would be that when they do uh, submit a follow-up response, follow, you know, after they've had the chance to review no, uh, no, the emails they received. No, we shouldn't wait. No, we shouldn't wait. We should mm. put our heads together and figure out, is there some way to force the issue? Is there a Freedom of Information Act thing that forces them to give an answer? There's a, you know, we have the Freedom of Information Act here. And, you know, if, we, it, it, if it's framed the right way, there's maybe a possibility to force the answer now, not wait until they've, uh, you know, drafted the letter. No, 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 no. I think we need yeah, to that, that's a great thought. Yeah, I mean, it sounds yeah. like you had already reached out and got some kind of indication. Uh, well, no, you didn't no, mention no, no, what no, they no, said no, in your response. No, no, no. I said I sent an email, but I have had no, zero response. Oh, not I see. My mistake. Acknowledgement, not even yeah. acknowledgement that has been received, and that to me is just not good enough. I'm not happy with that. Yeah. So I, I, you know, if I necessary, I write to my member of parliament. I say, listen, I've sent this email to them. They refuse to answer. Do your job. Get on to them and tell them that I must have an answer. Finished. We need yeah. to make a noise about this. There's, there is fuck, excuse the, the, there's fuck all use making all this noise on Super Stonk, wherever. This is not where it happens. We need to make the noise at the source. Annoy them now. 
I mean, I, like as much as I, I definitely agree, it's worth worth following up and and getting an answer. It wouldn't surprise me that they would give as vague an answer as they have written this report, where it would be, yeah, maybe it will, maybe it won't. We'll see how the recommendations go and kind of because it's still early days, but because um, they kind of, that's how they kind of write out with some of the um, alternate depository. Uh, solutions later in the report um it's yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna say what i think now i do not agree that the intent of this is to extend the legislation to cover foreign assets i don't think they can do it i think they know they can't do it and i don't think that's the intent at all and I, i i think that they are not going to go the south korea route i don't believe it I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's the intent. I think the I mean, intent only to uh, have oversight and this governance over uh, force issue for UK-based securities only. I I really I mean I hope you're right, but e- like either way, for me as someone as an advocate of self custody and direct registration, uh, like I want to make sure direct registration is an option in all. <laughs> Um, new depository no. uh, solutions yeah. that they offer. Livix, direct registration does not exist in the UK. Uh, I think he means just right holding way. under his own name without without a nominee is yeah. the option that he wants to preserve. It, well, whatever, but it's not called direct registration. See, this is the exact problem, is that when you say direct registration, this means a certain thing to the majority of GME holders on Superstock. And it's not applicable to the UK at all. It, has, it doesn't apply. It's, 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 that's exactly the kind of mixed messaging, the imprecise use of terminology that, that's getting me a little bit hot under the collar and making me join this space and say something. Because uh, So, just to, just to kind of the term might have a popular connotation, but I just wanted to double check this uh, report from, you know, the the task force, uh, and they do they do say, uh, you know, that they want there to be quote no distinction in access to rights between shareholders who are directly registered and those who hold their shares through intermediaries. Ah, uh, so it, there certainly is use of this yeah. uh, terminology. Yeah, in this legal I, I, term. I don't know. Yeah, the trouble is DRS in 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 DRS direct registration. Yeah, DRS, the service of the DTC. That's you know an, an American organization. Yeah. It means some, and and I agree. I think it's a sinister move to uh, to take away to take shareholding away from the. Yeah, I I, I share the concern, despite. Yeah, I think I think what what the digital task force is doing is prejudicial to the rights of the individual stockholder in the UK. And, and that's exactly why we're here. You know, I mean, yeah. we, we unfortunately we did not have anything to do with Superstonk's response to this report. Yeah, yeah. We have no communication with the Superstonk mods. We've all been long banned and ostracized uh, from yeah, yeah. the platform over there. Uh, I, I agree with you that yeah. absolutely okay. everyone should. Yeah. Know the facts of the current threat. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to do exactly what I've just told you to do. I'm going uh, what I told you I would do. I'm going to contact my MP. I'm going to say, listen, this issue is of some significance and and importance to me. 
I've emailed the task force. I've not received a reply. This is not good enough. Do, must I go through the freedom of information route, or are you going to get on and and uh, sort it out? And I'll let you guys know what what happens. But um, yeah, wonderful. You, I'm not of the view that that passively sitting this up. No, I'm of the view that those of us who are in the UK, who have the rights of UK citizens, should be kicking a bit of ass right now. Absolutely. Hell yeah, and man. I was saying at the top of the call that anyone who has the potential to interact with the UK markets has just as much of a right to kick up a fuss. No, if they... no that's not right. They have a right to comment. But they yes. don't have the same access to um, no, they don't have the same access to uh, representative government. Um, you know that 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 they don't have. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I meant just in terms of commenting for sure. Because um, some because sometimes when it's like oh, if it's just UK companies, right, that doesn't affect me. But uh, like we were saying earlier, it could set a precedent that could then spread across into other similarly, you know, similar Western countries um, where we've got, you know, the opposite going on in, in France where they have, they actually allow companies to give bonuses on dividends to directly registered individuals um, and, and um, like extra voting rights and discounts on their products, like all sorts of incentives. And then on the other end, we've got this where it's like, actually, no, you're not allowed to own this stuff in your own name. Uh, or be directly registered uh, on the issuer's uh, ledger um, when actually clearly like these companies are actually paying out of pocket to get people to directly register. It's it's clearly a, a beneficial to the company as well as the investor. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, that's what I think we should be moving towards, not away from. Um and kind of protecting the option of being directly registered is definitely part of that, a big part of that. Um, but yeah, I really we, appreciate your your kind of coming coming in and, and sharing all that, Melvier, because we we probably did not take or definitely did not take enough time to lay out the the real reality of the current moment and address uh, some of the misinterpretations of. Uh, this document that have been running around in other online communities. So I really appreciate you bringing that kind of to the forefront. Um, And also your intent to, you know, uh, uh, foment discourse, uh, foment discord and reach out to your representative. Uh, That's absolutely terrific. And everyone who lives in a representative democracy should take advantage of that, uh, of that right of theirs. Absolutely. And like, again, it's, I mean, um, to play devil's advocate, it's it's only potential misunderstanding because of how vague and open-ended a lot of this language is. Um, like, it, it's bizarre. They they kind of throw out all these shoulds and like, oh, we should do this and we should do that. And they could go in all sorts of different directions with it. And judging by how we've seen, you know, people this deep into capitalism and finance act before, it wouldn't surprise me if they go the way that will benefit them and not the ultimate beneficial owner um like the depository model that that they suggest is definitely pro central depository and not pro individual investors and their rights um but they kind of bolster it around with oh and then they but those investors should have access to all their rights doesn't mean they will 
doesn't mean we'll actually follow through on that. Uh, <laughs> the one thing that they do nail down is that everyone, it will be mandatory to have a nominee in the, in their preferred uh, option, uh, which is two or three. I'm blanking on it now, but we'll, we'll get That's to that. The third shortly. option they list. Yeah, we'll get to that quite shortly here. Maybe we'll just very quickly read the last of these two um, uh, yeah. initial recommendations that Sir Douglas Flint uh, made at the uh, opening of this report. Um, yeah. We, we've got number six, which is also, this is a great one as well. I'd love this to be something that happens, but we'll see. Um, so it's where intermediaries offer access to shareholder rights. The baseline service should facilitate the ability to vote with confirmation of that vote has been recorded and provide an efficient, reliable two-way communication and messaging channel through intermediaries between the issuer and the ultimate benefit owners. So it's essentially trying to bring DRS levels of transparency and communication and access uh, to a broker level. I mean, I don't see how they're going to do that, um, but uh, it, it just seems so much easier to get rid of the intermediary <laughs> or intermediaries multiple, as they state. Um, but still, any kind of level of transparency, actually having proof that your vote was recorded, it would be huge. Um, although they do state later in the report that mo a lot of investors don't care about voting. They don't care if their votes are recorded or not. And maybe this is something that should be paid for. So, uh, yeah, again, it's the kind of uh, golden offering, but then actually with the little hidden knife under it that they're going to get you with. <laughs> Uh, it's another way for them to make money, I guess. But, uh, and then, yeah, lastly, we've got number seven, the final recommendation. Uh, following digitization of certificated holding, shareholdings, the industry should move with legislative, legislative support to discontinue check payments and mandate direct payment to the ultimate beneficial owner's nominated bank account. So basically, we should stop using checks I think a lot, I can't remember the last time I looked at a check, let alone uh, used one. Um, so again, that's a very reasonable request to kind of move into modernization of uh, and digitization of, of uh, the shareholding, the UK shareholding framework. Um, that one, I don't really see much uh, double-edged swords to, to be honest. That, that one's pretty straightforward. I don't know about you, Chives. Oh, no, I'd, I'd agree. Uh, no big deals about seven there. And certainly I'm also very interested in making sure that uh, any shareholder has access to uh, their shareholder rights, including voting rights, and can make sure that their vote has been recorded properly. Um, yeah. You know, certainly that would, uh, certainly the American market has a big problem with phantom shares that we won't get into right now. Um, but if, if only we had that same kind of assurances about uh, beneficial voters being able to know that their vote had been recorded properly uh, and, you know, ultimately received and cast at the, with the issuer, but that's a different topic. Uh, so that, that's kind of the overview from, uh, from Douglas that we wanted to get into here. Uh, the next 10 or so pages of the report go over various background and identifying research that, help to justify the 
need for an action towards dematerialization, uh, going into you know, how the legacy system of shares certificates creates a lot of slowed communication for issuers and for other market participants. Um, we touched on that a bit uh, over the last several minutes, but you know, essentially, if an estate is, uh, is being transferred or someone passes on or moves or it doesn't have an open communication with um, you know their custodian or registrar or whatever it might be. And that's something that, you know, they view as a, a resource glut and untenable, especially in the context of modern technology. As far as that's concerned, I certainly do agree that considering the modern technological environment, that, that kind of nonsense is just, is no, there's no real excuse anymore. Uh, we have the ability, you know, certainly, and we'll talk in a moment about, you know, for example, the American system, where there is you know, book entry, just meaning electronic and not on paper uh, certificates where you are able to hold on the issuer's ledger fully on the computer and uh, engage with the issuer completely electronically and securely. So we know that the technology exists. We know that it's all very possible to do. Certainly the DTC here in America has been pursuing dematerialization for for decades. So... As far as all of that is concerned and all of these uh, recommendations, uh, I think we're all in agreement that they're positive. Uh, so that's when we can get to uh, this report's suggested uh, methods of action and solutions to solve the problem. And that, if for those reading along or looking along, uh, starts on page 14 of the interim report. Yeah, so I've just put up in the nest. I've uh, it's a post that I made on Reddit that basically breaks down these uh, alternate depository models that they're putting forward. It's so much easier to say that when I've got the words in front of me. I was trying to remember alternative depository models. It's, there's so much jargon in all of this stuff. It's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so it's basically how how should everyone hold their shares and how can we look at this differently? Um, the, there's four options and let's just say three of them, they pretty much dismiss within the pitch of that model, uh, which kind of says a lot, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> um, so option one is essentially a digital version of the current system is very similar to what we have now. Um, there's, uh, yeah, a subsidiary register in digitized form is maintained by an intermediary, typically the current registrar. So, like, you have the issuer's ledger, and then you've got the central depository's ledger, and then you've got the broker's ledger, and they all kind of work their way back up to the the issuer's ledger. Uh, and even though it's that's the structure of things, they refer to the issuer's ledger as a sub ledger or a second secondary ledger. It's it's weird. They kind of position it below, even though really it's at the top of this food chain. Um, but anyway, so, um, yeah, option one would involve uh, electronic transfers between uh, this kind of register and the central securities depository in which all currently dematerialized shares are recorded and settled post-trade, uh, basically Crest and Euroclear um, in England and across Europe. Um, so it preserves the choice uh, currently available to shareholders to be on a register other than one 
maintained by the central uh, securities depository, uh, which basically means it allows you to be directly registered because other than the central security depository, there's only one other register and that's the issue is. So they they work they word around it so heavily they're trying so hard not to say oh yeah you can just be registered with the company if you want um, but whatever uh, so um, it builds on linkages already in place and it's yeah it's basically just a slightly less frictional version of what we're what we're doing at the moment. Um, and then at the bottom, however, it retains one aspect of the current system that many of those consulted wish to see removed, a second register of shareholdings with consequential friction as shares move between the two registers. Um, like they, they're kind of prioritizing the central security depositories register already in this one. Um, so it's kind of, they're kind of just nodding their head towards the fact that they want to remove the issuer's register, uh, register. Uh, or ledger um which kind of uh brings us to options two and three option two is kind of a midway it's kind of it's an interesting option um although i think is this oh no it's option four where they talk about australia um so yeah option two would enhance the ability of certificated shareholders to become direct members of crest so instead of your broker being a member of Crest, you yourself will be that member. Um, it will allow, uh, I think, you to be recorded on the issuer's register, uh, at least in name. Um, but you would need a sponsor uh, to manage your account with Crest. Um, so this kind of has a, well, uh, it says at the bottom of the recommendation, um, accordingly, we do not see this as a viable option due to the costs involved and the lack of any meaningful support. So it's like, why do you even bring it up then if you're, if you're just like, but this is impossible, really. But uh, the third alternative, so this is the one that uh, I don't like, but um, it would be to mandate all certificated shares to be moved to the central depository uh, intermediated and administered through a nominee. So for anyone uh, who isn't familiar with the nominee, uh, the, the word nominee literally just means the named person on the asset, basically. So when you're directly registered, you're the, you're the nominee, basically. Um, when you're with a broker, CD and co is the nominee in America or in the UK and you're holding UK stocks, Crest is the nominee. Um, they're what's registered on the ledger. Uh, and um, yeah, they they hold the legal title to the share because it's in their name. So only they can prove in a court of law that level of ownership. Um, so this would bring all shareholdings into a single central securities depository, removing the need for a movement between sub-registers and the central security depository. So, again, it's, yeah, um, kind of suggesting that the issuer's register is the sub-register because it's removing the central securities depository from that uh, framing and... Uh, which doesn't make sense to me. The central securities depository is the sub-register because they don't reflect all of the shares issued by the company. Only the company's register has all of that information. 
but uh again it's it's just this subtle almost negging of uh self-custody that's that's pervasive throughout this um but yeah they i mean they say right in the next paragraph we believe this represents the leading model for digitization of paper certificates uh i mean it clearly making it mandatory of course it's going to be a great option for uh, digitizing paper certificates, but it's also making it mandatory to use a nominee full stop. So it's, uh, they're kind of again burying the lead a little bit by bringing it back to paper certificates when it's, it's much more than that. Um, and yeah, they kind of bring up the en- enhanced with the improved transparency and communication obligations we recommend uh so again it's like you don't have to do it but it'd be it'd be nice um so (laughs) it's so funny where where they choose to slam like bring the hammer down and where they choose to kind of be real like put on their kiddie gloves and be gentle about it um so they're going to kind of look into more of it later if they can we've not found any evidence that uh certificated holders once dematerialized would have a preference as to whether their interests are held with a central securities depository with a nominee uh, or recorded in a sub-register outside the central depository. So again, pointing to the issuer's register as the sub-register, which is just, yeah, disingenuous at best. Um, And it's kind of... Clearly they didn't look around because there's a ton of investors who prefer to uh, hold with the company, I'm sure. And hopefully they reach out during this common period and also to their representatives. Yeah. And I mean, I would say the fact that they're holding a paper certificate is evidence in itself that they would rather have their name on the share. They would rather it not be with a nominee. That's a great point. Because why else do they have a paper certificate? They even say that in the very next sentence. You know, when asked, those certificated shareholders said their original preference was simply to receive a paper certificate. Uh, Well, Looks like that is not going to be an option, but the next best thing would be to retain that uh, ownership in your own name, certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. Why wouldn't you go for the digital version of a paper certificate if it was offered to you? Like, it wouldn't surprise me if they skipped asking them, oh, would you be interested in direct registration instead? They would just say, oh, would you rather be with a central securities depository or a sub register, which doesn't sound that appealing to me. I want to be on the main register. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, I, yeah, it speaks for itself. They they just want everyone to work through a centralized nominee. Um, I think also uh, Kibble Pigeon was going on that it would be a state managed nominee, which I haven't seen much evidence of. But that uh, would have been the unlikely. second option here if if they. Kind of used Crest as the centralized model, but uh, that that doesn't seem to be where the direction they're going. Uh, also, I think that you know all the additional complication air quotes of uh, introducing the ability for folks to become their own, uh, you know, sort of their own nominee, but then have to have a custodian for that uh, creates a lot more. You know, why not just do something simple and have everyone hold under a single nominee? Right, that's so straightforward and saves a lot of paperwork. Yeah. It's great for the nominees. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah. So there's um, a, there's a fourth option that they very briefly mention here that I was really happy to even see get uh, a nod at all in this report. Um, you know, I hope you don't mind because if I hop right into it. Yeah, this is your your wheelhouse for sure. <laughs> well, what they say here is that the you know the fourth model that they suggest would be to reimagine the securities holding trading and settlement framework, stepping beyond current infrastructure to envisage the possibilities that would arise from adopting distributed ledger technology. And so, you know, under that model, all transactions and actions would be confirmed by all parties on inception, and that would remove the need for so many of these reconciliations and communications uh, all through this intermediation chain. And so right there, they're pointing out that, you know, a blockchain network would be able to not only provide uh, kind of the securities of uh, owning in one's own name, but also all of the uh, it's ease, uh, ease of access and transaction that come with a centralized depository, since everyone is, of course, sharing that uh, centralized ledger. So well, although they are aware of this, what they say next is that it is difficult to fully assess the possibilities, advantages, and risks arising from a change to decentralized uh, distributed ledger technology uh, architecture, you know, given that the technology is still at such an early stage. And, you know, at the outset, they had determined that they want to bring forward practical steps to improve the architecture. And that means, you know, in the short term. And so this technology, I certainly do agree with them that it's still early days. Uh, so it's great to see that they're talking about it here and acknowledging that it makes sense as a best in class solution, but they're not interested in being trailblazers. So essentially this option is being put down uh, out back before it had a chance to stretch. Yeah. And they do mention that um, the Treasury and other working groups inside government, as well as the FCA, are exploring the possibilities that distributed ledger technology would unlock. So even though they're not touching it, other parts of the government are, which is great because, yeah, this is kind of what we want to see. Every every share would have its serial number. It would be impossible to lose. And uh, there would just be an insane amount of accountability, which is you know, what we're doing by directly registering instead. Um, so how we're able to achieve it in the current system, but this would distribute that level of uh, accountability for everyone. It would, yeah. I mean, I'd love to see it implemented, but yeah, clearly, um, as you're saying, it's too too young. But uh, maybe one day. Maybe maybe we just need a, a few companies out there showing them how it's done. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of get the feeling that that fourth option was was just like blue sky thinking, like oh anything's possible, and like the techiest people in that task force were like, yeah, this is the way to go, uh, even though it's not really possible. Um, but yeah, so. Um, from here, you know, now that we can see kind of the, the four main solutions that the task force has, you know, kind of developed, uh, number one being uh, this idea that's uh, kind of an electronic version of their current system. A good analog to that would be uh, the American system. Uh, number two being this um, structured CSD uh, model with Crest at the forefront, uh, where investors need to have uh, kind of help from a custodian. Uh, entity, but can be named on the ledger. Uh, they've 
kind of holding through that central depository. Uh, part three is an even simpler version. Uh, solution three, I mean, is an even simpler version where that central depository uh, holds everything and uh, everyone would hold through that nominee and uh, that way there wouldn't be any intermediaries between the two, you know, either your investors and that central depository. And then the fourth solution of uh, a blockchain a distributed ledger technology solution. So following that, you know, they, they spend some pages here kind of just going a bit into more detail about their thought process regarding the recommendations uh, that we went over earlier at the start of the call. Um, and if you look through, you know, immediately following those solutions, they don't actually say right away if they have any kind of preference. And it seems like uh, at first, like perhaps a, a fairly even assessment of the given options outside of maybe some vocabulary choices like how they decide that registrar versus sub-registrar. Um, but I definitely want to draw attention to near the end of the packet, uh, near the bottom of page 23, uh, they have some follow-up information about uh, the second recommendation that they made. So I'll just read out this uh, brief quote here. They say, recommendation two was to require dematerialization of all share certificates at a future date. Under our currently preferred third option, this will be done by mandating the transfer of all certificated shares to the CSD, intermediated and administered through a nominee. And so that right there is kind of where they highlight that's the direction they prefer to go, and that's the approach that they are coming from uh, throughout this, this whole exercise and evaluation. Yeah, they've kind of been pointing the needle towards this, and they even go on to say in the next, the, it's the very top of the last paragraph of page 23, uh, it says, intermediation through a nominee requires legal title to the shares to be transferred to the nominee. The former holder of the share certificate retains beneficial ownership only. Um, so, yeah, uh, this basically confirms uh, what we're concerned about, the fact that they want to give the legal title, which is the highest level of verifying that you own that thing. It's the only form of ownership that is enforceable in a court of law, like... They want to give that to a nominee, to a broker, and then they're they're with under the kind of like, oh, and that broker should give you all your rights. They should, and oh, but you know maybe um, they can charge you for those rights. So it's all this kind of like shoulds and maybes and what we'd like to see and everything um, is all dancing around and then leading up to this like. You're not going to be able to own what you want to buy, and uh, you're going to have to pay to access any of your rights for them. I mean, that's the worst case scenario. And as I was saying, the Sir Douglas Flint, ex-KPMG and HSBC wouldn't surprise me if that's what he's aiming for, because that would be the the absolute dream for for a bank like HSBC uh, or, or a, pri a prime broker or any anyone seeking to benefit from being a nominee. Um, because they would have the legal right then to lend the shares at will. Um, you would like it would be a lot harder to have any kind of recourse to protect your shares from being lent out uh, for any sorts of purposes like shorting. Um, so yeah, it's it's 
definitely they they just bury the lead so hard and then kind of subtly reveal what they wanted all along right on the last like yes third to last page pretty much um there was yeah um I'm trying to find it now. There was more stuff about um, accessing your rights and how you'd have, like, if there are any costs incurred with this, then brokers or nominees could charge you for it. Uh, I had so many notes on this that I've lost track of it completely. Um, (laughs) um, Well, while you're going through, you know, that's kind of uh, start to finish some of the highlights from the report, although I definitely would recommend, again, that folks check out the report in full if they want to learn more. Uh, keep in mind, yeah. you know, where these guys are in the process. You know, they're still, uh, this is a report indicating that, that they're going to be formulating a report in a few months. You know, so that, although things are moving quickly, there's also you have time to, to read, to reach out to representatives, to email them for comment. Uh, and also check out Computer Shares resources, also linked in the nest there. And in the, in the show notes, there's also a um, shareholder activism website there that has a email template that you can check out if you want to kind of reach out and uh, add your voice to those looking for more clarity. And we also have linked, I believe, some other uh, letters that folks have written and posted online if you want to you know, write your own but still want some more inspiration. Yeah. Can you guys can you guys hear me? Can I tell you something about yeah. Douglas Flint? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Right now, so Douglas Flint is chairman of ABRD, which is a contraction of Aberdeen PLC, which is a, a contraction of Standard Life Aberdeen PLC. Standard Life is a UK-based was. It still exists, but Standard Life Aberdeen became Aberdeen PLC, and now they've changed their name to just ABRD. This is this is chaotic um, management of the brand name, okay? <laughs> um, I had... Oh, we've lost you there. Yeah, I think you cut out. So, so Douglas found him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a company changing the name that many times makes you wonder for sure. Um, I mean, imagine being able to be like, yeah, I'm just going to name my company this city name. No one else has that. That's uh, some crazy stuff. Um, I did well, find, you know, a lot of a lot of companies want their brand recognition, and yeah. uh, depending on what you do, well, you might not. So I've found uh, one of the bits that I was looking for. It's on page eighteen of the report, uh, and it's to do with voting rights. And again, there's back and forth on this. Um, like they're both saying, like, yeah, they don't care, but also there's a trend. Uh, like there's trending towards more people caring about voting rights. So bear with me while I I tap dance my way through this. Hello. Yes, you're back. We can hear you. Okay. Sorry. I drifted away. Now, if you look at page 22, (laughs) 
of the report, there is mm. an interesting illustrative thing, which is of what company? ABRD, PLC. Oh, yeah. Did you see that? Oh, look at that. Yeah. And wouldn't you know how... how uh, so Douglas Flint wrote uh, is the chairman, but actually he doesn't say who the other members of this task force are. The task force is Sir Douglas Flint. There's no one else. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it was Sir Douglas Flint and maybe some interns Yeah, that they just threw their way. Oh, yeah. and, and on page 22... He shows how Aberdeen PLC, a, sorry, not Aberdeen, ABRD PLC, <laughs> an absolute fortune mailing out things to people who were there or not there. Or That's why the fucker wants to dematerialize everything. They can save costs on the annual general meeting notices. They, they definitely can for paper certificates. And maybe there's a hope for, yeah, if they digitise, there'll be less people looking to get their, their proxy votes. Yeah, well, um, look at the figures of what they spent to, to put all those letters in envelopes and mail them out. Because here in the UK, the people in the US will not, will not notice, but here in the UK, we're absolutely obsessed with bits of paper in the mail. Uh, you know, how many times as a UK citizen, you know, I, I've, I've been caught up, oh, but we sent you a letter. As if an excuse, you know, we informed you. In other words, you have been served. You have been sent a letter through the Royal Mail, and that is, you have been served. You have been informed, and it's your fault you didn't open the mail and read the letter. So, anyway, look, you've got you to realize, Sir Douglas Flint here is, is, and there's a strange thing. I had shares of Aberdeen, and I got so pissed off with their, their this this kind of, Jobs worthiness in the in and and, and uh, anyway, I I decided to sell the shares. It was impossible to sell the shares except through a company called Equinity, which handles their their backroom, um, the, the the machinations of selling and buying and selling shares and and they and and they had to offer me the choice of being sent a check, which if you see in the example given on page twenty two. They want to. St- One of the principal points about the report is to stop checks being sent out. They want an alternative to checks being sent out to people if they cash their shares and or, or deal in shares in any way. So, you know, this is very much an ABRD perspective on the whole report. Douglas Print has taken his position and used it to bitch about how ABRD is is being slaughtered on costs and he doesn't want to send checks to anybody anymore. I mean, I definitely agree. It's, it is deeply amusing. And thank you for pointing that out that they, they mentioned spending about $8 million here on distribu- distributive costs. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's deeply amusing. He would use a, a, a anecdote from his own uh, private company oh. during this report that he was uh, commissioned by the government to put together. No. Uh, wow. As right. A, but I don't expect. Now, as an ABRD, I would mm-hmm. as an ex shoulder ex shareholder of ABRD, I suddenly started coming across all sorts of adverts and bits and pieces of what these guys are up to, their opinion pieces here. This is a very strange company. Okay, take it from me. This is these are the, I don't know what these guys. If you want to know a little bit more about what's going on with those, you need to look into AB. 
RD. And you also need to look into equinity. Because I can promise you that if anybody is going to be appointed as the government's share, okay, somebody's going to, some, it's, they say it's going to be a state mandated nominee role, right? Uh, 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 but someone is going to be chosen in the private sector to run that register, that central. Certainly. Yeah. Guess who's going to get the, guess who's going to get the job? Equinity. They're going to get the job. Because they're somehow tied up with ABRD. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, like, yeah, you just want to scream conflict of interest at these people sometimes. It's... Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. The... Yeah, anyway, look. Um, this is, this yeah, is that, that definitely why goes I... a lot to. This is a lot towards what we were saying. Why I'm trying to advise you all to take this with a large pinch of salt at this moment, okay? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and but and it's Vivek, Vivek, you're also a UK resident and thing. So yeah. let's get on to our MPs. Let's let's rattle our MPs and say, look, we need to be told if this proposal is is to to um, think, and now that I've seen that, I'm going to say there's a conflict. I'm going to directly say that. I say there's a conflict of interest here. Flint is publishing his own company's woes and using the report to say make recommendations that would benefit his own position. Yeah, you know, you're quite right. It's conflict of interest. What's going yeah. on? Well, just to be fair, not not that I want to be in the business of being fair to, uh, you know, the, these guys who, to which $8 million, I'm sure, is a rounding error for a big company with almost a, a million record holders like this. But ultimately, this is a cost-saving, you know, dematerialization will be cost-saving for all issuing companies. And uh, that that is at the core of the public reasons for the DTC in America pushing for it. It's always about you know, publicly about efficiency. And as far as those points go, uh, as we kind of went over at the start of the call, I don't, I don't really disagree with any of them. It's, it's more about the uh, process through which dematerialization is undergone and implemented that I have concerns with, not so much about it happening full stop. Uh, just throwing that out there um, that, you know, of course it benefits the company, uh, but that is going to apply to every issuing company. For sure. I mean, uh, yeah, getting rid of checks as well. I can I can see the benefit of that. Um, I think uh, it's partly why, for example, GameStop have gone through uh, a digital only um, issuer plan uh, because, yeah, you don't want to be sending out statements all the time um, because that's costing you like. Imagine you're doing that for your proxy votes at the AGM every year. That's costing you however much, but doing it every month for every uh, directly registered shareholder, that would, yeah, cost the company a lot of money. Um, but, you know, with all those cost savings in place, it's it's so much more beneficial for the company to be directly registered as well. Uh, as I was saying earlier about the French companies that encourage it and incentivize it, it, it saves the money because they're not having to pay fees to like work through all the uh, brokerages um, or pay for all the kind of um, vote tallying that, that goes on. Like 
I, I just remember back to 2021 where I, I tried desperately to vote at, at a, you know, GameStop's AGM and uh, none of my five brokers offered voting. Um, but still there was a 95% voter turnout. So if I, I was far from the only person stuck without a vote in Europe, let alone England. And I mean, as we saw from the, the stockholder list viewing, there were like nearly 10,500 UK uh, registered shareholders. And uh, with the average um, share count, that's about four, uh, 4 million shares, basically, unable to vote before. that are now just able to vote seamlessly and communicate seamlessly with the issuer and the transfer agent. It's it's just seems like the sensible way to go. But yeah, as, as we're seeing more and more with this, uh, clearly the, the interests of Sir Douglas Flint align with Sir Douglas Flint and not the general public. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just looking at the, uh, this, um, yeah, ultimately all this is, we just want to levy even more suspicion towards, you know, towards the ultimate goals of his task force uh, and, you know, what the ensuing steps may be. Uh, yeah. So that, that's it. That's a great, that's a great find, uh, Bell Weir. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a nice little spicy cherry on top for, for everything we've been digging into. Um and a great leverage for the comments as well for, for people to comment on this and be like, yeah, there is a conflict of interest here. Like this, he needs to be aligning himself with shareholders, not his own company, private company. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to go through this paragraph about voting. Um, and then, uh, as well, uh, if anyone else wanted to jump in with questions or comments, uh, put your hands up and, and we can bring you up to ask something. Um, but yeah, uh, in the meantime, I'll just read out this bit about voting. So, uh, they say uh, this is on page 18 of, of the interim report. Uh, so they say, we also noted, uh, that the additional, uh, addition of access to voting rights did not incur additional charges, suggesting that such facilitation is not currently burdensome on intermediaries with good underlying technology platforms. It should, however, be noted that few retail shareholders uh, in practice take up the ability to express their rights, although the upwards trend in those doing so is encouraging. So this is like a big flip flop back and forth. Like, um, So they're saying, uh, just bear this in mind for, for in a minute, uh, voting rights did not incur additional charges. That's great, but they're going to change that tune uh, shortly. Um so and it's not burdensome on on intermediaries like brokers and there's good underlying technology but not many people are doing it but at the same time more people are doing it it's just ridiculous anyway um it continues to say a further improvement that was commented on by many consulted was the provision of confirmation to those voting that their votes have been received and cast as instructed we believe in a digitized world, this should be eminently possible without much, if any, additional cost. So now they're introducing a cost to vote, whereas before they were like, no, voting rights don't cost you anything. But maybe actually knowing that your votes were cast and knowing that they were recorded, maybe there is a cost for that. 
Um, so where there is a cost that is to be charged or recharged, this should be made clear. So they're basically within this vague wording, they're opening up the possibility that even just to vote, let alone know that your vote was cast, could have an additional cost now. Whereas before, it was just standard that this was a free right to access. Um, and even eToro, one of the worst European brokers out there, they're, they're practically the Robin Hood of, of Europe. They offered a basic voting platform God knows if it worked or not. There's literally no confirmation as to whether or not anything happened on the back end. Um, I remember the links and everything. It was all a bit of a mess. Um, and the page looked really flimsy. Didn't look like it plugged into anything. Um, I don't, I, I don't know if people really dug into the source code of those pages, but to me, it just looked like a very basic Google sheet that plugged into absolutely nothing. Um, and probably didn't record anything. Uh, because when you went back to it, it was all reset and fresh again. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, so this is the kind of thing we're dealing with. Like, oh, voting rights did not incur additional charges, but they could. And this is the kind of, like, I, I don't know who's bending Sir Douglas's ear in that regard. Um, and it's all under the promise that we should have access to these rights. But uh, And we currently... It's it's possible, but yeah, they they want to add their layers of profit on top. Um, so uh, I guess to, to kind of round everything out, um, we should talk about how to deal with all this. What's what can we do? Um, so there there is included in one of the links. Um, there is a shareholder activism website, um, which has a kind of a breakdown of uh, what's going on and the fact that they're, they're removing the option of direct registration. Um, and it includes a email template and you can CC in even the company that have set up this website so that there is uh, an extra receipt of this, your comment being sent. Um, so it's not just being sent into the void and, and there's no guarantee that it, it landed uh, where it was meant to. Um, so even if um, like you decide to go the extra mile and write your own comment completely from scratch, you can still CC them in just so they can see what's important to you as well. And also see that uh, there's that extra verification that, you know, these comments are coming in. Um, and if you're looking for inspiration, uh on what to say um i include them all in a list in in uh my posts my reddit posts that i've also linked in the nest um they have i think nine questions um throughout pages like the uh well actually god yeah it starts really early and then stops uh so there's question one on page 12 question two and three on 13 and then nothing for a while and then they start back up on page 16. So it's probably easier just to go to my post. You can see them all there. Answer those questions, honestly, because some of them do literally uh, come out. Um, so question five, for example, do you agree with the task force recommendation that the optimal architecture is for all digitized shareholdings to be recorded in, a, in the central securities depository and managed and administered through nominees? That is a straight up no from me. Uh, and uh, like having those questions is just, you know, questions like that is a great launch pad to get you going. Um, 
because they're so enraging to like read out because <laughs> it's like yeah you guys like this right you'd like not owning your stuff right um not that any like not that they've asked any actual shareholders uh although maybe maybe he asked shareholders of his own private company that Aberdeen PLC um and and probably just those that are friends of his i mean it seems the what they're kind of boasting about like yeah we've asked investors and they don't care about this stuff and certificated shareholders probably don't care if they get landed with a nominee or still get to hold it in in their own name like yeah it's almost boastful at times it feels like but uh yeah i think that's led to things like me being like oh yeah let's do something about this because you know what fuck this guy um but at the same time i think it's yeah led to others going a bit more panic mode let's get this done now don't think about it don't read it just read what i tell you and go and do it like i encourage everyone if they have the time to read through this and make their own mind about it um everything we've been reading through it's all there in the interim report for you to double check like we're not twisting their words uh we're certainly guessing some interpretation because at the end of the day they've left it so vague and open that they can more or less do what they want um and obviously we don't want that because uh you know investors not being able to have a say in how uh shareholder framework works is um yeah, it's not good. It, it's not going to land us with what we need as investors. Um, it will certainly get what companies like ABDRN, PLC and various nominees, they'll get what they want. Uh, they will never have to worry about uh, people directly registering instead of using them ever again. Um, so, yeah, this is um, something everyone definitely needs to comment on if they are passionate about self-custody and direct registration. Um, like we were saying earlier, it's still a little up in the air about what it's going to impact, if it's going to just impact um, UK companies or UK shareholders or both. Um, the To me, the, the fact that it's so vague and open, it feels very broad, Um and it could well mean all those things. Uh, but yeah, it would be great uh, to see what comes out next because we should get an update not long after the 25th deadline and then moving on to the next phase. And there'll be another comment period, I'm sure. So it'll be interesting to see how they reposition after we will all get on uh, the emails to them. Um, so I think... Uh, the only other thing I haven't shared is some other example letters. I've got a couple posts. I'm going to put that in the nest now. Um, and yeah, if anyone has any questions or. Yeah. While you're doing that, is there anyone else who wants to, to chime in about interpretation, uh, question, ideas for activism to help get this, uh, you know, get loud about this. Because yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on right now. There's the um, there's the dumb money movie that's just come out that's getting everyone's attention. I think uh, for similarly, yeah, that is going on. True. Um, 
Here, I think uh, Six Days has a has a question here. Nice, yeah. Yeah, um, hey guys, um, I know that you had mentioned before about um, 10,500 um, holders in the UK, and uh, which would approximately be 4 million DRS shares. So um, I, I had to step out for a second. I don't know if you brought it up, but um, hypothetically, worst case scenario, if this does affect... Um, the UK for American held companies um, that would potentially put um, we're estimating at um, 4 million GameStop shares. Is that it? Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's correct. Yeah. Um, would... Thank you guys. That, that, that was, that was my question. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they would def like, yeah, if it's, uh, if this proposal means what we think it means, then yeah, those 4 million shares would be risk at risk of being removed from direct registration. Um, and, uh, there was, um, a, a slight silver lining out of that because it made me realize there's actually a technical loophole if it does go through. Um, and it's something else that's being researched in tandem at the moment. Um, and that's an activist investor group um, where a group of shareholders get together. They they all are kind of aligned on what they want from the company or what they want for the company. Um, and uh, they kind of act together on that. And part of that is you uh, essentially give your shares to the activist in investor group um, and they kind of record who owns what uh, and maintains a ledger and i'm sure there's contracts involved as well I, I haven't done as much research into activist investor groups as as other people but basically it would have to be incorporated uh to act in a kind of official capacity so you would essentially gift your shares to this incorporated uh entity in america they would hold the shares for you uh but they would be doing everything you'd want with the shares anyway and you can ask them, uh, ask for your shares back at any moment. Um, but yeah, it would be, and that activist investor group, in case I wasn't clear, uh, would then be able to directly register those shares under the incorporated name. Um, so it, it's still a form of beneficial ownership, but it is a way to get your shares out of the DTC still, uh, even if um, this this proposal does the worst of the worst um so i'm still hopeful I, I can still get my shares uh out of the kind of excessive liquidity environment that is the dtc um and they'll be pr protected as much as anyone else's directly registered shares um and you know as a long-term holder i'm not planning on anything doing anything with them for a long time so i'd be very happy for them to sit in another account for a while uh with apes you know with other individual investors that i trust um which is you know co compared to a broker trust is a very low bar so uh <laughs> um yeah it would uh could be a potential workaround anyway if if it all comes to it um but i'm going to try and fight for for preserving the right to directly register my shares for now because uh, that benefits everyone. Right, definitely. And just to reiterate that 
you know, that worst case scenario where outside markets or, um, you know, or jurisdictions are affected by some future hypothetical legislation, that's, you know, certainly at the very least, uh, months and months out. Um, so that's it definitely something to be concerned about, but not something that, you know, needs to, you know, don't be overtaken with emotion at that idea, you know, uh, be collected. And if you're, you know, interested in commenting, you know, focus on taking these two, two next weeks until the 25th to develop a perspective and, uh, you know, share that perspective with the task force. For sure. And, um, yeah, I hope there's a good chance we'll be returning to this topic down the line as they come into the next phase of this, ta- what this task force is doing. Um, and, um, hopefully over that time, we'll be able to look further into the legislation they're trying to change. Uh, they make references to the kind of laws, um, that, and regulations that are kind of involved at the moment and what they'll, yeah. I, I don't think they go very much into what they'll do to those uh, regulations, but um, hopefully more of that will be revealed and we'll have a better stance to be able to take on it then. Um, so, yeah, uh, watch this space. Um, hopefully, uh, yeah, if we do it again, we'll do it as a Twitter space again. But as we were saying at the top, uh we're going to be also distributing on all the podcast networks so you can listen on demand uh, whenever and wherever. Um, uh, even to the point we'll, we'll probably share the RSS feed itself um, in case anyone wants to listen but not touch a podcast app. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to what more we have to come from this. And I look forward to seeing everyone's comment letters um because even though like you can feel like you've covered every point when you've written one of those things out and worked on it for a few hours and then you see someone else has written something and you're like i wish i included that so hopefully we can inspire each other some more uh by sharing some of these letters um but yeah uh and hopefully yeah we'll be back on next wednesday uh Wednesday the 20th of September uh we should have a couple of very interesting special guests uh but I'm going to keep that a secret for now so we can build up some uh suspense (laughs) and um yeah I hope to see everyone next week and I hope to see everyone's beautiful comment letters on this proposal uh and getting out there and protecting DRS and representing uh, direct registration. Cause, uh, definitely. Yeah. You can, you can, um, you know, if you're busy next Wednesday, that's okay, but definitely submit your letter. Yeah. Get those letters in, get them in. And yeah, also, you're not going to want to miss next Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Oh, not gonna wanna miss it. It's going to be a spicy one. All right, uh, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you all soon.